Activism isn't about being loud, it's about making a meaningful change. I'm a catalyst for change. Catalyst for change. I saw what was happening to our planet and the injustice of climate change. I was like, wow, I'm an activist at heart. Combining art and activism to inspire change. I had to find my place in activism as a young black woman. I realized you're never too small to take action. Youth have ideas for what a climate resilient future looks like. Protecting the environment isn't a wise people's thing. It's something for everyone. I wanted to learn about how inequality, poverty and gender intersect. Intersectional feminism is important to discuss. Now people are joining me and we're making change. I had to learn to trust my abilities and understand that my voice mattered. I proved to myself what I could do. Change needs to start with you and me. Youth are leading. Sanmanani Dumelang Absheni. And welcome to Youth Tal Or. The homegrown South African podcast sharing stories of young people taking action and making a change to create a more sustainable, inclusive and equitable future for all. We're your hosts, Bunalo Muikanyani. And I'm with my co-host with the most, Zahir Suleiman. And today we have such an inspiring story for you. We're joined in studio with Arvash Siupol, a 22-year-old from Johannesburg who has been involved in all kinds of activism. Welcome, Arvash. Thank you for being here. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I just want to say a little disclaimer. I do have a bit of a cough. No problem. <laughs> no, problem. no problem. No problem. Gets to the best of us. Thanks. Thanks. Now, Arvash, I understand that today you have a very important story to share with us, one that speaks to acceptance, that speaks to identity, finding oneself, which I think is so pivotal for young people, especially as we navigating um, the earlier parts of our lives. So if you don't mind, I, I think Bonolo, let's let's stop there. You know, Arvash, let's tone it down a little bit. Let's get serious. Okay. Just a bit of a question for you. Okay. If you could have supper with anyone, fictional, non-fictional, dead or alive, who would you have supper with? Ooh. Oh, wow. Just an icebreaker to get you going. Who would I have supper with? Well, I have supper very late, so <laughs> that in itself is already very fun. But if I would, there's a spiritualist by the name of Srila Prabhupada. Mm-hmm. He, at the age of 79, moved to America and started a whole international organization. And I think it'd be pretty amazing to have supper with him oh, wow. and sure. see how he, at such an old age, sure. was able to inspire so many people. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah, we're just so excited for your story. Like Bonolo said, there's just so many things that your story speaks to. And yeah, if you can just take it away, blow, blow our minds. Blow our minds. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> so growing up in a Hindu home, I grew up with a lot of religious values and principles, and they were very prominent. From the age of five, I became active in our religious community and Growing up in the space, I found this subconscious need to understand myself. Reason being because I was different. I was different to other kids my age because I was queer. And I believed through the space that I could find a deeper understanding as to why I was such. And that for me was a very interesting thing. Many kids my age would often bully me, tease me, use derogatory names isolate me and treat me differently and this made my journey a little bit difficult i felt like i was not worthy to socialize with others my age in this i began to question more and more about why i was being treated differently and growing up in a hindu home we often are surrounded by 
these pastimes or stories of divinity, these acts of kindness, compassion, love, mercy. And for me, it really made me question why a God who can engage in that manner with those values would allow me to be treated differently. And in it, I always found that these personalities who were engaging with God, and I say Krishna, they were people who were isolated from society. They were people who weren't being in the upfront with luxuries or status or fame. And that for me really hit home. And that allowed me to see that I'm like that, that those persons left outside of society. That allowed me to gain a deeper faith and ground myself in my spiritualism. But that spiritual realization aside, in this more physical sense, my parents would try their best to defend me in these spaces. But a lot of the treatment I'd received was being pushed under the carpet. And no one was really ready to openly discuss the homophobic behavior in our space. So as I grew up, I became more invisible and I felt more invisible. And in that, the questions and the answers became more rampant in me. I wanted answers Mm -hmm. to why I was being treated this way. At the age of 12, I remember sitting in the audience and I saw my guru, my teacher, enter a stage. She was a dancer, dressed in the finest Indian outfit with beautiful jewelry, makeup, flowers in her hair. She looked like the epitome of femininity. And for me, she just looked stunning. And when she started to dance, I saw both the rigidity of a male dancer, the the discipline, along with the grace of a female dancer. And that really struck my heart. So a year later, at the age of 13, I joined the Indian classical art form she taught, Kathak. I began to channel my restless energy into dance, a dance form started by men in the northern temples to offer their mind, body, and soul. And that appealed to me. I invested myself in my dance, part of which included dressing the part. Just like doctors dress in scrubs, I had to dress as a dancer. This included wearing jewelry, kungurus, which are dancing bells, and makeup. So, now I want you to close your eyes. Imagine a male dancer. In the middle of a black stage, under a spotlight, you see this male dancer, dressed in gold, a kurta. You see a boy wearing rings, necklaces, jewelry, earrings. You see him with black eyeliner, red lipstick, makeup. On his feet, you see gungrus or dancing bells, anklets, and his feet and fingers are painted red with henna. That is how I picture myself in my heart as a dancer. But being a dancer added more complexities to my journey. I needed answers. And finally, I came across it. The Bhagavad Gita, a spiritual script from India, shared a point in spiritual in spirituality that we often identify as the body, but we are souls, spirit souls, and we're above these material conditionings. And this caught my attention. Dance thus became the medium for me to bring both my spiritual 
and material side mm-hmm. together. Sure. But also my male and female side. Sure. Incredible. But these spiritual realizations aside, being a dancer meant I had to dance. <laughs> I had to perform. <laughs> yeah. And in 2014, I had my first show. I remember I was dreading the show. And that was because I had to wear makeup. I was 14, new to dance, already nervous about dancing in front of 500 people. Yo. Yeah. <laughs> And now I was also battling the internalized homophobia I grew up with. Sure. Boys do not wear makeup. I remember my guru telling me, you have to wear black eyeliner, you have to wear pink lipstick. That's the minimum for any male dancer. At that time, I was coming out. I accepted I was gay. I was comfortable being male and gay. But a part of me was really, really scared for show day. Mm. A smaller part, though, was really excited to wear makeup. Mm. But a bigger part of me was scared. Scared because of all those years of being bullied and made to feel insecure in myself. And that was without makeup. Soon after, I convinced myself that it was okay. I will wear the makeup, but very light makeup. And I'll continue to do so every time I have to perform. And everybody around me seemed to be comfortable with that. My parents, family, friends accepted it. I began to look forward to shows and performances just to wear makeup. From my first show, though, I found that after the performance, I had walked into the lobby to see my guru swarmed with all her other students and their parents. I walked past and various older people looked at me with makeup on. I didn't receive any compliments or words or encouragement from them. They just sort of parted ways and looked at me. But I approached my guru and she was just smiling from ear to ear. Oh, sure. And she embraced me and she said, you, my boy, are going to go far. Sure. And that touched me because I'd received that encouragement and support from my guru. When I left the lobby and went outside to fe- see my family, my parents just hugged me and told me how proud they were to see a male dancer on stage wearing makeup, doing what needed to be done to show the traditional side of our religious upbringing. And for me, that was powerful. The support may have not been there from other parents, but from my own guru and my own parents, that was enough. Sure, sure. Finally, in matric, I had experienced two incidents that had shaped where I am today. During Madhya exams, I experienced a little bit of an intense form of bullying. For a few months before that, I had been chatting to a guy, as we all do at that age. We became really close and we would chat daily. But I remember in June, just before my business studies paper, I experienced something so heart-wrenching. The guy I was talking to, who soon became a very close friend, sent me a message exclaiming that everything I had shared with him up until that point about me being gay, about my family, my upbringing, my trauma, and the fact that I was still hid being gay, he took all of that and used it against me 
or blackmailed me. So I want you to stop for a second. I want you to feel what I felt. The thrill of seeing a notification from someone you're really close to, someone who you look forward to chatting to, a close friend, which you excitedly open, only to see a message full of hate, disgust, it makes your heart stop. My throat went dry, tears welling in my eyes. When you see a message that breaks your heart, you can't really begin to fathom how to react. This message took everything that was confidential to me, my most important parts, sent by someone I trusted, was used against me. This made me realize that I should not allow random people the power to control me. No person should be put in an uncomfortable situation where they could feel blackmailed or threatened just because of their sexuality. Sure. This experience allowed me, for my matric dance, to start living my authentic self. Matric dance is a very elaborate affair for mm. any student. Mm. Most definitely. We dress up, we get ready. But this year, I decided I wanted to do something different. And for my matric dance, I remember getting ready and standing in the mirror. And I said, something's missing. And I decided to wear eyeliner. And I painted my nails. A brown nude, so you wouldn't notice. But I broke my rule. I broke sure. my rule to not wear makeup outside of dance. But I felt so amazing. When I came downstairs, my parents didn't really acknowledge that. But further than that, we had to meet my extended family for matric dance, for photos. As Indian families do. As Indian families do. <laughs> and I remember walking into my aunt's house and they all looked at me and they didn't know what to say. And then finally my oldest aunt turned to me and she said, why are you wearing makeup? Why are your nails painted? You're a boy. I just remember feeling so hot and flustered. I felt like I needed to escape. Yeah. And I said, because I wanted to. Sure, come on. That was it. Drops mic. But I didn't know if that was the right answer. Sure. Mm. But yeah. for me, that answer was apt. Sure. So, so courageous. In that moment, I didn't feel that way. Sure. I wanted to run away. And... Soon after this matric dance, me wearing makeup became a big discussion in our family. Gender roles, identity, presentation. This conversation began to become very dominant whenever I entered a room. My father didn't have much to say on the topic, but my mother, every time I wore lipstick, asked me, why are you dressing like a girl? Why do you need to do these things? You're a boy. And this soon began to get into heated arguments, debates, discussions, where my mother and I would often clash. And that for me was very intense, to have a part of my identity being questioned so often in a space that should have been safe for me, and by someone who I thought was supportive. Months and months, I'd hear my mother complain to other people, question me when it came to makeup. 
But slowly through time, she accepted that this was a part of who I am. And I'd like to think that being a dancer, having makeup just means that I'm always ready to dance. I wanted to be my unapologetic self. And that was the first step. In these two experiences, though, I realized that a lot of my experiences is not isolated. And this was my tipping point. This was the point where I said, no other person like me should go through what I've went through. And that is where my activism really came into being. Mm -hmm. I joined spaces for many years before that that were looking at sex, sexuality, identity, feminism, Mm. these sort of activist points. But after my experiences of being blackmailed and being questioned about who I am, I realized that I needed to to do more. Mm. And this is where I joined spaces such as Youth at Sire, various religious youth groups. But I felt the need that I had to bring in my experiences to open up discussions and dialogues because that is where people really begin to understand. And from understanding, I believe you get acceptance. Sexuality, identity, and presentation is not something to be ashamed of. I found a sense of community in spaces such as Youth at Saya, the Gender Working Group, Krishna Balaram Youth Group, even the Kauteng Youth Legislation. These spaces encouraged me, gave me a platform to share and create awareness, but also to bring in points or action points of things that can be done to create a safer space for other people sure. who would go through, who were going through what I went through. Queer rights, LGBTQ plus rights is a very prominent discussion, but when it comes to the larger cohort or the larger society, not much experiences are shared and often that alienates us from that space. So my activism took a shape in workshops, dialogues, panel discussions, conferences, creating policy drafts, women's day statements, pride month statements. Mm. In my personal capacity, it was creating a series called The Queer Family on Instagram. Just to also understand that whilst the queer experience is there and you're understanding yourself, there's also experiences of your family and friends who are also understanding 100%. the queer journey. Like, sure. you know, I'm telling you I'm gay now. You're also processing those things. Sure. We're both having our own experience. So important. So a lot of my activism stemmed into that space of dialogue, awareness, mm-hmm. education, and for me, that allowed this aspect that no individual should ever feel that who they are is a reason they should hide. That's what pushed me in my activism. And that's what's pushing me now, because there is a need to create a safe space for younger queer children so that they know that they never have to be ashamed of themselves. Sure. Yo, um, I literally got chills throughout and my tears, like my eyes were welling with yeah, tears I because I'm like, well on my way to crying. Yo, yo, I think there's so much power in that amount of vulnerability. And I think people resonate with those stories mm. where people are able to, I think even just, you know, listening to your story, it's, it really comes to show the heart of activism, right? Is we're not just picketing and protesting. 
at the heart of every single thing that we do, whether it's a policy statement that we draft, everything fundamentally comes from our hearts and our lived experiences, Mm -hmm. like you said, which is so powerful, so powerful. Yeah. And I think, you know, coming from an Indian family myself, just to, just to be able to resonate with all of the expectations and things that, that come on. I mean, my story is nowhere near as yours, but just to be able to understand that there's a lot of things that go behind it in and out of what we just share on the surface. So for you to be able to share that and overcome all of those things is, is profound. Really it is. Sure, sure. Thank you. I think we just have a couple of questions for you. And I want to start off by asking in your story, you talk about the gender movement. You talk about being comfortable in yourself, coming to terms with who you are. And we know that every queer child has a different story. They have a different journey of coming out. And I, so I want to ask you, where do you, where do you think, why do you think it's important of, of learning about who you are, coming to terms with yourself and being able to define your journey how you want and without anybody else's expectations of, of who you want, of who they want you to be? Where do you find that? So this is a beautiful question. And I just want to just a small comment in preparation mm-hmm. for this podcast. I shared that. This story, while very summarized, was actually very emotional to go mm-hmm. through. And sure. sharing stories in okay. itself, it can be slightly triggering because you mm-hmm. have to redeal with all those things. Sure. But it takes a lot, a lot of vulnerability. So first and foremost, to all those sharing their stories, sure. thank you. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, I remember speaking to one of my older sisters cousin sisters and she was going through a sort of mental breakdown and she couldn't explain to our family what she was going through and I said you need to come out you need to be open and honest about what it is you're doing and whilst I shared this view with very few people in our community I believe every person has a coming out story regardless of sexuality Mm -hmm. Sure. Because that's good. Coming out means being sure open and authentic with yourself. Definitely. And the reason being is, or the reason this is important or why people should do this is because living in fear or living a version of yourself would mean you're wasting your time and other people's time around you. You're not bringing your 100% true self into spaces, and you're going to just do injustice to that. There's no reason to hide because there's always a space that will accept you or will comfort you when you need. But I believe that coming out at this point allows people to develop themselves, touch a higher version of themselves, and not dwell on negative. I like to think of it as a lotus. Right, A lotus grows in muddy mm. waters. But whenever you look at the lotus, it's never dirty. Mm. It's completely beautiful. And that's what each person should be. They should be in a space that allows them to be themselves. And the first step is accepting that you are amazing, mm. that you are able to contribute wonderful things to your spaces. And that means coming out. Sure, sure, sure. Yo, yo. <laughs> no, that. Yo. Wow. I think what stuck for me was when you just mentioned about how 
coming out isn't even about sexuality. It's about just coming out even to yourself. Like, sure, sure. But I think I have a question related to, I think just listening to your story, a lot of the times when we speak about sexuality and identity, a lot of the times it's very exclusive from religion. And in your journey, we see how those, those two intersect, mm. right? Or these very, or often, um, mutually exclusive things intersect in your journey, right? What would you then say to, to somebody else who's trying to navigate spirituality and religion with their sexuality? How, what would you say to them in grappling with that question of like, where does this intersect? How does, you know, how does my sexuality mix with my religion? So growing up in a Hindu home, as I start off my journey, mm. it somehow always comes to that, the home. Sure. And when it comes to religion, you find that many homes hold different views but religion and the beauty of it actually is that it's a very standard practice you may interpret it in different ways especially when it comes to hinduism but it's a very standard practice and when i was growing up and trying to find my answers i found a community community within hinduism known as tritya prakriti or the third sex and we all know the history of South Africa and India and the colonialism that had sort of affected the way we interact. And that had happened in India. This third sex community, because they were not viewed by the British as civilized, will be erased. But they were mentioned in scriptures, such as the Kama Sutra. And be very open here. The Kama Sutra is more than just a book about sex positions. It's a book that deals about sexuality, how to engage with members who are different to heteronormative individuals. It deals with lifestyle, marriage, children. It deals with karma of these individuals. So when I found out this aspect of religion, I realized that this space is actually very inclusive. Sure. Through history, it may be exclusive, but this space, Hinduism or religion, there is a space for inclusivity. Sure. It's also you understanding that and knowing that God had given that jurisdiction to you and you need to take it. The next person may not know that. Sure. The next Hindu may not know that Kama Sutra deals with X, Y, Z, but that's for them to find out. That's their journey to go on. Mm-hmm. I know what my religion says. And in my practice, I'm comfortable and strong enough to go forward with that. Sure. So when it comes to sex and religion and the intersectionality in that space, it's you doing your research and you understanding what your spiritualism or religion means to you and then making that your practice. Sure. Sure. Oh. Sure, sure. No, definitely. I, and I think there's a lot of people that would struggle with that question. And so yeah. for you to be able to give that answer and share what your interpretation and belief is, I think it would resonate with a lot of people. I think for me, I would want to ask if, if, if you're comfortable, of course, you spoke about hardships and some of the things that you had gone through in your journey, such as bullying. Um, and there are many out there that are going through a similar experience. So I think the first part of my question is personally, what did you do? I mean, you said you found your space and why do you think it was important for you to do that and, and overcome those sort of external factors and and then what would you give advice to other young youth that are possibly going through a similar experience 
So this question is very, very interesting. I would say finding a space is actually very important. Mm-hmm. You know, in first year I did philosophy and we had to engage with this term called communitas mm-hmm. and the sense of community and the sense of belonging. And we, growing up, we often hear many sayings, idioms, sort of things around community, right? It takes a village to raise a, ch- a mm-hmm. child, you know, that sort of thing. Belonging is for me, one of the most fundamental needs of any person. 100%. Whether you belong to a religious group, whether you belong to a boy band, whether you belong to a university, belonging dictates a lot of our life. Sure. And it should be given. Any person should feel a sense of belonging. And the reason that that's important is because together we're stronger, right? All the Harry Potter fans know <laughs> that, that sort of say. You're speaking to me. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but feeling a sense of belonging is very important. And the reason being is because when you're at your lowest, I'm someone that deals with depression and anxiety. When I'm alone and dealing with negative experiences, I tend to overthink. 100%. And I tend to dwell on things that may have happened, may have not happened, may have been exaggerated and that's not good but if i'm sitting with someone who may know what i've been through they would provide support maybe not how to go forward but a shoulder to just hear and say don't say that don't Mm. think like that it's not that we you know someone's Mm. there for you we all need that that's why a sense of community is important because when you're at your lowest you would want someone to be there to help you or to just be there with you being bullied being targeted in those instances growing up through high school through primary school is never fun and granted it's not it's not supposed to happen but it does in those instances i personally would find an escape whilst it's not the healthiest of habits but it got me through a lot. And I used to love reading. I used to go through books like no one's business. Find your escape. Because high school, primary school are temporary. And if you're going to allow that temporary situation to affect your permanent situation, you're only going to do yourself a disadvantage. So find your escape. I used to love reading. I used to love being in the garden. And then I found dance. Mm. And dance became a way of me taking all that material negative energy and just throwing it away. And if you know classical Indian dances, we use a lot of our feet. So we stamp on the ground and we really <laughs> hit it. So I used to really channel that. So find your escape. But in those instances where you feel overwhelmed, seek medical help, seek professional help if you need to. Phone a counselor, phone a psychologist get that support structure there for yourself. And I know it sounds intense because you're already going through a lot, mm-hmm. but you got to do it for you. Sure. Wow. Sure. I have one more question. Advice. so you're a history teacher, right? And I think it's, it's such an important subject to be teaching. And I think even just through your lived experiences, there's so much 
there's such a profound perspective that you share in that space, right? How do you think positionality or lived experience is relevant in that in the classroom space as an educator? This is something else. In the last year, I've been battling. Actually, sure. let's. It's sure. it's not an easy thing, you know. Sure. I enjoy history, and I'm in that space, especially in the educational space mm-hmm. in the history department, and being Indian and queer, especially in South African history. It's very unique, let's say. You don't find much on Indians in the history syllabus in 100%. first place. And you find very little of queer people. Sure. Actually, nothing. Yeah, I was about to say. You don't, you don't even hear about the um, Stonewall riots in America in our history syllabus in South Africa. Sure. So what to speak of South African queer history. But positionality for me it was a journey of understanding that there were identities like mine prior to colonialism throughout this vast history that we have on planet earth there were identities like me various identities and that for me is encouraging to know that there is someone that went through what i went through somewhere along history who was queer who was indian who was femme you know and that bring that into the classroom and saying, whilst I may not be a black male who has activism history like so-and-so in our history textbook, but I will definitely educate myself on that experience and sure. honor and respect that experience so that I can bring that to my best of my abilities to you. Sure. It's, a, it's a conversation about accountability, position, definitely, mm. and also acknowledging the space you come from, be it privilege, be it underprivilege, sure. be it race, sexuality, gender. It's being open and saying, this is where I'm at and this is where I'm willing to go. What are you going to do to meet me in the classroom as well? Sure. Wow. Sure. Incredible. Incredible. I think sure. your story genuinely speaks to a lot of people. Yeah. And I think so many people can just resonate and understand mm-hmm. what you're saying. But unfortunately for those listening, that is all the time that we have today. Thank you, Arvash, so much for being here. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of, of you sharing your story. And thank you for being vulnerable with us. We really appreciate it. No, thank you guys for having me. It sure. was a wonderful experience to share my journey and my story. So thank you for this platform. It's doing amazing work. We're your co-hosts. I'm Zahir Suleiman. I'm joined with my co-host with the most. Thank you so much for listening and join us next time to hear more stories of young people taking action and making a change. Until next time. The Youth Tell All podcast is a production from Youth at Zaya, the youth programs at the South African Institute for International Affairs. Youth at Zaya is focused on giving a voice to young Africans to tackle the major issues that confront them while building capacity to engage with policymakers at national, regional and international levels. Youth at Zaya empowers youth with the skills to become continental leaders with a commitment to co-creation, collaboration, inclusivity, decolonization, social justice and intersectionality. Our broader thematic areas cover climate change, gender, education, employment, and sustainable and regenerative futures. This series has been made possible with the financial support of the Embassy of Finland in Pretoria. This episode was produced by Kiara Worth and Desiree Kashulik in collaboration with Solid Gold Podcast Studios. 
The youth at SIA leadership team includes Desiree Kashulik, Titebojo Lebia, Lucille Naidu, and Itumalengimpure. Story development has been done by Kiara Worth. If you have a story to share or want to learn more about our podcast, our programs, or how to get involved in youth activism, head to our website at saya.org.za slash youth. That's S-A-I-I-A dot org dot Z-A forward slash youth. Youth at Saya is across social media sites too. So find us wherever you are. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember, youth, youth are leading. leading.